The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. And welcome once again to Came from the Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. We are here live on tape, virtually distanced, of course, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library for our 60th 6 0 live show. And I'm here with my co host, L Man Jenny Feldy. Hello, good evening, everyone. And we have our special guest who we're going to be talking to, with, and about, which is awesome because he's here with us, Mr. Jay Pelicano from the Long Island Comic Fest. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for having me tonight. So before we do any of that, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking to Jay in just a few minutes, but we have to take it away with the news. It's morphin' time! The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of sci-fi.radio. That's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. So as well as the fine folks at the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 26 years of comic bookness and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. The next convention is scheduled for uh, December the 17th. That's the Big Apple Christmas Con. And I want to give out shout-outs to our Patreons, of which there are Danny Grill, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous, Dresden Media, Orangey-Kun, Shadow Rabbit Art, Yasmin Ray, and Rosa. Want to get your own little shout-out? Go to our website, www.camfrail.com. Just for a dollar a month, you will have a, a shout-out on our show. We would greatly appreciate it. So let's, uh, as we always do, we start off with the sad news. All yeah. right, so let's see. You love the sad news there, Jen? No, sad news is not good news. Well, that's 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 what it's supposed to be. But so misery loves company, so I know a few people that would love to hear some sad news. All right, so let's see. Model and actress Charles B. Charles C H A R L B I Charles B. Dean died recently. As of this recording, no cause of death has been announced. While appearing in such films as Spud and the sequel Spud 2, The Madness Continues, Death Race Part 3, Inferno, Blood in the Water, Don't Sleep, An Interview with God, and Triangle of Sadness, just name a few, Charlby is perhaps best known as Cyanide on the series Black Lightning. Um, Jay, did you watch uh, Black Lightning by chance? No, I didn't. There's so much stuff I got to catch up on uh, between the shows and work work. I'm so busy. I'm lucky that I get to watch uh, The Curse of Oak Island when it comes on. <laughs> but as a comic guy, you're supposed to. Isn't there like a law to be a comic guy? You have to watch all the comic shows, each and every single one that comes out? I mean, you know, yes. But then at the same time, like I tell everybody like this, you didn't see Flash or you didn't see Arrow. And I'm like, guys, I work. And then I come <laughs> home and I work on the shows so that I know that when you come to them, you love them and you don't hate me saying that it was terrible no, I didn't watch all the shows. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So she was a young, 32 years old. Wow. Thanks. So moving on to the uh, next bit of sad news, actress Marsha Hunt also died recently from natural causes. In her nearly 80-year career, 
Marsh appeared in such films and films as <gasps> The Virginia Judge, The Accusing Finger, College Holiday, Desert Gold, Hollywood Boulevard, Born to the West, Trail, Thunder Trail, Murder Goes to College, These Glamour Girls, Long Shot, Pride and Prejudice, the original one, uh, Holy Partner, Unholy Partners, The Trial of Mary Dugan, The Penalty, The Affairs of Martha, Seven Sweethearts, Cry Havoc, Bride by Mistake, Carnegie Hall, Mary Ryan, Detective, Take One False Step, Diplomatic Passport, Back from the Dead, Blue Denim, Fear No Evil, and Empire State Building Murders, just name a few. Wow. Um, she was a spry 104 years old. Wow. wow. God bless her. Now, what's amazing is that through all those, like, that's just a, a slither of all the stuff she's been in. So if you look her up, uh, and if you're an old-time movie fanatic, you've probably seen her work. So let's see. Last bit of sad news. Actor Lee, Jack Lee Ging, also died recently, and also no death of a, no cause of death has been announced. While being perhaps best known for portraying Lieutenant Ted Quinlan in 31 episodes of the NBC series Riptide, which ran from 1984 to 1986, and that of General Harlan Bo Fulbright on NBC's series The A-Team, which tracked down the team, but instead of turning them in, persuaded them to travel to, with him to Vietnam to try and find his long-lost offspring. Harlan is shot and killed, and in his dying moments admitted that he realized the 18 were innocent, as they were willing to help him at any cost despite them being criminals on the run from him. So he was one of the guys that was chasing him throughout the series. He met I, up with him. You remember that episode? Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. So um, Jack also appeared in such films and shows as uh, Ghosts of Drag Strip Hollow, Tess of Storm Country, Terror in the Sky, Play Misty for Me, High Plains Drifter, that was the Killer Snake movie. Uh, the Disappearance of Flight 412, Mackenzie's Raiders, Tales of Wells Fargo's The 11th Hour, Mannix, and PSI I Love You, just name a few. So um, you remember, Jay, his, uh, him in, uh, entirely. Can you mention about his work, if any way, shape, or form? Well, I remember him from A-Team from when I was a kid because that was airing when I was a kid. So, you know, A-Team... Dukes of Hazard, like all those shows, you know, as kids, we were watching them. A-Team was actually one of my favorites. And I remember that everybody hated that guy because he wanted, <laughs> he wanted to arrest them. He wanted to put him away. And then it ends up, oh, look, he's, he, he realizes, you know, he's a big dummy. He's a jerk. And they're all innocent. But I, re I do remember that guy because we hated him. And now I feel bad because he passed away. And we're like, oh, we couldn't stand that guy. <laughs> Well, that, that means that's a testament to his acting ability. He did such a good job that you hated him. Yes. True. Harlan. So he was uh, 90 years old. So that's it for the sad news. We're going to move on to our not as sad news. He was hated for many years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, though, the villains, as hated as they are, sometimes the villains have the most fun time at that particular show doing what they're doing because of the heat that they get. And they get yeah. a lot of attention for it. Yeah, that's what Always. they say. The, the, the villain, as an actress, Jen, can you agree that the villain is the better part? Yeah, I'm, I'm a villain in a lot of things coming out. Uh, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> but people really think I am whatever character I play, so it's, it's actually problematic in real life. Very remember, problematic, actually. Remember to separate reality from fiction, folks. Yeah, people can't. People can't. So moving on to the not as sad news. From the we didn't even see part two yet department, none other than James Cameron has announced that not only 
has Avatar's post-production uh, is significantly underway, and filming continues on Avatar Part 3, but production on Avatar 4 has officially started. James says, we mix the schedules for 2 and 3 together based on the types of scenes and the environments. I said, let's just treat it like it's a six-hour miniseries, and we're only going to Frankfurt, Germany once. We're only going to shoot all the scenes from 2 and 3 at the same time. That was more or less the motif. Act availability was an issue as well. Anything that had to be done with a specific actor, we did all the scenes for 2 and 3 together, and a little bit of 4. Because, once again, I had to shoot the kids out. They're allowed to age six years in the middle of the story on page 25 of movie four. So I needed everything before then and everything after we'll do later. So Avatar 2 is scheduled for release at the end of this year on uh, December 16th. And Avatar 3 is scheduled for release on 2020 of 2024. And now, I, I mean, I have no interest in seeing this movie part two. Let really? alone three and four. Like, I saw the first one. I was like, it was what it was. And that's it. I, I really don't have no interest. I mean, I'm probably going to see it because I have ways to see things for free. But I'm probably not going to go out of my way to see it. Uh, are we really a huge Avatar fan there, Jay? Not never. What, what, Jen? No, should I? Should I see it? Did you see Avatar? No. Not. The blue people? No, 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 no. None of it. All right, so Jen never saw it. What about you, Jen? I saw it, and I had taken the movie at the time for what it was. There's there's a ton of things in the aspect of the creation of that movie with the effects and the CGI that I, I have to admit that I love. Um, there are other parts of it where I swear I just looked at something and I went like, okay, you stole that directly out of Aliens. <laughs> but I enjoyed that movie for what it was. I really did. Um is it something that I would say was like Lord of the Rings epic? No, but it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I mean, Disney made part of their park after it. This is true. So and you're waiting on, cool. are you waiting on bated breath to see part two, part three, and now part four? I'm uh, interested to see what he's going to do, but it's not something that if I don't see it, that I'm going to like, you know, crawl into a fetal position and cry about <laughs> But I am interested. If it comes out, you know, at least I should say, will I go to the movie theater? No. But when it comes out on streaming, will I definitely hit it to watch it? Possibly pay for it? Yes. Okay. What, will you? what will make you crawl into a fetal position and cry? <laughs> there, there's uh, probably quite a few things. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that after the news. That's my first question. Okay. <laughs> All right. So moving on <laughs> from the if it was a girl, it would be creepy department. Uh-oh. Recently. On one of my top tier favorite comic book artists, Dale Keown's, uh decided to do a live stream on YouTube. And after 40 minutes of live streaming or so, he passed out. The feed kept on going as fans chatted amongst themselves for five hours while they all watched Dale sleep. And at times, based on the chat, wondered if he was still alive. Eventually, <laughs> his girlfriend was alerted and she came in to check on Dale went on to resume his interaction with fans for another 20 minutes. So he did a live stream. Apparently, he, he might have been under the influence, <laughs> passed out, and for five hours, people just watched him sleep. There's YouTube channels and other things where people go on just to watch people sleep. Really? Really? I, I didn't know about this. It's a thing. It's weird. But, but people do it. Wow. <laughs> ah. Now, I wonder this... if they're really sleeping or if they're faking. Well, we we had Zoom 
during COVID, I had opened up a room for a bunch of friends. And there's times we had 30 or 40 people in there. And on three separate occasions, I passed out for a good half hour, 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. In front of the camera. In front of the camera, just like this. Whoa. Snoring. Wow. Like I was out. Wow. Yeah, that's 45 minutes. <laughs> We're talking five hours. Yeah. They might have uh, been having a long <laughs> conversation with uh, Jack Daniels or Jim Bean before. You never know. <laughs> But the point is, is that people stayed watching for five hours talking amongst themselves, watching this guy passed out. Well, um, think of fandom. And Jen probably can relate to this. If you think of fandom, um, and I used to work in the comic book industry, and I was always a fan. I've been around, worked with Stan Lee. I've been around a lot of people that I've watched the fanboyism. Even I, at times, have been like with Stan Lee. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be professional. But there are there are fans that, like... They're that devoted. They'll sit there and watch you literally sleep for five hours. And they're just like, oh, my God, it's Dale Keown. I can't, no. I cannot, like, click off of this link. Wow. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm sure that I Jen has it. experienced fans. Where she's like, I really appreciate I, the fact that yeah. you're a fan, but buddy. <laughs> yeah, I just had an interesting fan experience just getting fluid just recently. And it was actually very sweet. It was very sweet. Um, but I, I just couldn't relate to that because I'm, I'm not like that, even with people that I'm like totally enamored by, I don't know, but it was like, he was so, he was so smitten. He couldn't do his job for a second. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, okay. Okay. But very, very cute. So the, the best thing I can relate to is that there was, um, I'm a huge Power Ranger fan, as I've mentioned many times on the show, uh, Amy Jo Johnson and David Yost, which is the original Pink and Blue Rangers, were doing a live stream chat about uh, an announcement or something. And Amy Jo forgot to turn the, 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 the cast off. She forgot to turn the stream off. So me and whoever else was watching it just kept on watching. I was watching to see how long it would take for her to realize that she didn't turn the stream off. And people were in the chat, turn off the stream. We can still hear you. We can still see you. And it gave me a little insight on behind, the, on behind you know, their lives. And it was very odd to see. But I was like, huh, I wonder how long this is going to take. So that was about... 15 minutes maybe i can't imagine myself just sitting there watching someone sleep for five hours well when you have other people talking in the chat and you have some interaction you have to remember too when when oopsies like this happen right i mean at the end of the day any of these people they're they're normal people just like you me jen you know jen may be doing acting and she's on and she's on the screen but at the same time you know those cameras turn off and it's a wrap she goes home she has a life and a lot of the times, those lives are pretty normal <laughs> like ours are. You know what I'm saying? So people sit there and they're just like, okay, the Wizard of Oz has just pulled the curtain back a little. I'm hanging out because I want to see what's yeah, going on. for sure. It's like my grandma always forgets to hang up and my mom too. So I always hang on to see what happens and what they say after the call. What they really like, think about you. That was wonderful. Oh, that was great. Oh, that's precious. Or I'll hear my mom doing something and I hang on. Yeah, I do wait. <laughs> Any, anytime someone's on his cell phone, like, I, I don't want to say his name because I love him to death, but he'll say, okay, bye. And then he doesn't hang up the phone and he puts the phone down because he's driving or whatever he's doing. And I hear him doing the other stuff that he's doing, you know, and I'm yelling his name like, dude, you didn't hang up. And he doesn't hang up. And I'm like, All right, I'm going to sit here for a minute because this could get interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It is fun. Uh, uncensored is the best. Behind the scenes is the best. Okay. That's what's real. Okay. You know what so, I mean? Uh, so moving on from the, I guess, virtual cons are a thing of the past department. 
none other than Warner Brothers has announced the cancellation of their DC Fandom event for this year. Originally, due to the pandemic, in 2020, which was two years ago, a virtually a virtual convention was created to showcase all of the DC content consisting of comics, TV shows, movies, and the stars and creators holding virtual panels to discuss their many projects. The first DC Fandom took place on August 22nd, 20, uh, 2000. Um, wait, August 22nd, 2022, for an eight-hour live stream that earned a combined 150 million views. Uh, executives say... <clears throat> With the return of in-person events, Warner Brothers Discovery is excited to be able to engage with our fans live at numerous Comic-Cons around the world and will not be scheduling DC Fandom for 2022. Now, I think it's interesting that it's a sign of the times where I thought a virtual con was going to become more of a hybrid event as opposed to just being erased totally. Now, as, as a convention organizer, uh, Jay, do you think that there was a place for virtual or was it just a little uh, a Band-Aid? the lack of conventions well during the heat of covid in one of the groups that i run co-run on facebook a moderator low-grade comic collectors we actually had done a virtual con we weren't sure what we were really doing but we said you know what let's give it a shot and see what happens and at the time it most certainly did serve a purpose because people were locked home there was nothing else to do you know now they're binge buying on ebay and stuff like that and the virtual con had a place but where it falls short, and I think where it will always fall short, and ultimately I think it's going to be its demise, is I don't know about you, but when I can go to New York Comic Con and I could see the boys that I know that work at Marvel, I can walk over to Image and say hello to Todd McFarlane and go down to Artist Alley and see a host of guys that I used to work with or that I know. And for the fans, it's equally as important. That face-to-face time, you'll never be able to substitute it. So even on a live stream, yeah, it's cool if they can type something and you can respond to them. It's not the same, though. It's just not the same. And I think it, I think it's going to be short-lived. Yeah, fair enough. Jen, you have any two cents on that? Agree. Yeah, no, agree. Actually, I just was going to support a girl I did makeup for. She has an event in the city, same day as my movie shoot. I said, I got a movie shoot. She's like, well, you can watch it virtually. And it's like, Oh, I think we're losing her. I think we're I losing you, I don't expect Jen. anyone to watch any. Oh, all right. Well, I'll be back very soon then. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> okay. watch anything virtually, but yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Jen's having a good time, man. She's out on a nice walk. That's <laughs> what she likes to do. So moving on from the, let's see if this works, from the. That's a lot of nuts. Department. The new horror film. The Barbarian has taken the number one spot in the domestic box office, pulling in $10.5 million in ticket sales in its first week of release. For those of you keeping track, the new Top Gun sequel is still the highest grossing film of 2022 with $705 million, followed by Doctor Strange's sequel with $411 million. Barbarian comes in at number 46. Now, we've talked about this many times on our show. Um, there's only one, two, three, five big quote-unquote movies that are coming out this year. Uh, Jay, do you think anything will be able to dethrone Top Gun from the highest grossing uh, movie of this year? And that would be Black Adam. Uh, Black Panther Part 2, Shazam Part 2, Puss in Boots Part 2, or Avatar Part 2? Well, um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is definitely going to give it a run run for its money. Black Panther, when that movie came out, 
It did phenomenally well, and rightfully so, and it was done very well. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Wakanda Forever, especially with uh, the passing of, oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Chadwick Boseman? Yes. His untimely passing and the things he was doing while he was sick, you know, the love that that character gained is going to definitely give it a run for its money. And I really would not be surprised if Avatar is the one that ends up knocking it, knocking it out because the first Avatar did ridiculously well. But the Top Gun sequel, I was so skeptical about it and I still haven't watched the whole movie, but they did it right. I'm sorry. That, that was a proper sequel. Yeah, it really was. I really enjoyed it. And I think the initial interest in Black Panther will give it that big opening weekend. But the movie's got to be good for it to have legs and be able to beat Top Gun. It's got to be good. And I don't know if it's going to be good. I, mean, I know it'll be tough, interesting. It's a tough act to follow with Chadwick being Black Panther. It, it really is. It is a tough act to follow. But it's also a movie that's highly anticipated. You know, Avatar is so overly hyped. It may not get the distance, but it may get the opening weekend. But to, to last as long as Top Gun has, mm-hmm. you, you're right. That's gonna be that's gonna be tough. I mean, I don't know if they're gonna anything's gonna pull that off until really the next Avengers comes out. Maybe. And the thing is, this Top Gun movie, if the trend continues, might be the shift that everybody's been talking about for the past two or three years. That there's gonna be a shift away from the superhero genre into other things. So. There, there we have uh, Tom Cruise being in the biggest movie of all time. One of the biggest movies. He's getting there. He's getting there. I think he's at number six as the top grossing movies of all time. So I think, uh, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna hold on. It really all depends on how good the two movies are. Everybody that I know that saw Top Gun two, and to its completion, they all. I knew almost nobody that had anything bad to say, and they all said if there was really honestly going to be a sequel, this was the right one. And they say, and they've been talking. People have been talking about how they did what they did right more than what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very satisfying. Like I was, I was, I was once again, I was surprised at how good it was. I heard about it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy crap, it really is good. And for me, having not been a huge Top Gun fan and watching it way back when, the sequel is able to fill you in on everything you need to know. It gives you all the beats you need to know the original movie, and it keeps it moving. I was like, wow, I'm, that's pretty I'm darn a good. Major, I'm a major, major fan of the original Top Gun because the Tomcat, that's the plane that, that Tom Cruise flies, yep. was built literally around the block from my house. I, I watched them wow. build them here in Bethpage, and then I went out to Carrollton plenty of times and watched them actually fly, come in, and land. So, and, and at that, that was... That's the satisfying part of two for me is I got to see that plane again. And I, I love that jet. <laughs> All right. So finally, my last bit of news also from the. That's a lot of nuts. Department. The most expensive piece of sports memorabilia has been sold, which is a 9.5 graded 1952 tops Mickey Mantle rookie card. And it has been sold for a record. million at a recent auction. The seller was a 75-year-old man named Anthony uh, Giordano of New Jersey, who originally bought the card for $50,000 in a New York City show in 1991. Now, you run a convention. Do you ever think that you would see a sale like that high for a a baseball card or any type of uh, memorabilia? 
Let me tell you something. I have Mickey Mantle's autograph on an eight by ten right there on the wall. <laughs> and for the for certain cards, would I have thought it would have been a mantle? No, absolutely not. I would have thought that it would have been a Honus Wagner or a Babe Ruth or even a Gehrig or a DiMaggio. I would never think it would have been the 52 tops mantle because as many of them got flipped, because that's what kids did with them back in the day, or put in the spokes of a bicycle and they just got lost. Um, there are quite a few of those cards around. They're still, they're still, don't get me wrong, very rare, but that condition, especially post-COVID, it doesn't surprise me at all. Because if you look at COVID and look what went on with sports cards, non-sports cards, all these hobbies that when we were kids in the 80s that came out, they're out, that you know, they were they were nothing for years, right? And then COVID hit and all of a sudden you saw all these hobbies come back. For crying out loud, the Marvel Universe Series 1 cards, the Stan Lee card, it's called Mr. Marvel. I, I have a stack like this. It was selling for $175 each on eBay. And I'm like, no, this can't be. It was totally true. Wow. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And, you know, again, it's the Mick. I mean, it's it's Mickey, you know? <laughs> all right, fair enough. So we lost Jen, so hopefully she'll be back. But with that, we're going to take our break, and we'll be right back with Kane from the radio. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Hey everybody, this is Todd McFarland of the Record Setting Spawn comic series. And if you're looking for any kind of cool conversation about creators, about entertainment, about all that good stuff, you go to It Came From The Radio. You're listening to the right spot. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From The Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. Um, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library, we are here, virtually distanced, of course, for our 60th, 6-0 live show, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library, um, where they have tons and tons of programming every single day, except when they're closed. Um, go to www.eastmetal.info for more information. You can sign up, register for our shows, and even our live show, which we have once a month. Um, they have tons and tons of programming for all ages, and most of them are free. So make sure you go to www.eastmetal.info and sign up and register today. And I am here with none other than Long Island Comic Fest. Fest. Is it Fest? Long Island Comic Fest. Right behind but me. Yeah, but it's Long Island Comic Fest, but it's the ownership, so it's Long Island Comic Fest. <laughs> okay. Right? Mr. Jay Pellegrino. What's up, guys? Welcome back. So, Jay, I've known you for a couple of years. Um, I guess the, the question I always talk to about tons of uh, uh, event organizers is, why do you make a convention? Because I've spoken to them. I've seen the behind the scenes. I've seen the hecticness of running a convention. Why in the world would you want to do that? Well, it's actually really simple, and it's something that everybody tells me that I'm nuts for doing for the reasons they do it. But So there's, there's two trains of thought with conventions or, or shows. You've got promoters that do it for the money, and then you have promoters that are doing it because it's something they want to do. I luckily, thank God, I fall into the category of I'm putting on the shows that you guys see behind me on my uh, – my drop because I wanted to bring back the old school comic book show, the way that I remember it when I was a kid 
very much thanks to none other than Mike Carbonero, because Mike used to have a, a comic book show in the basement of a church in the city. You could go to that show, you could buy, sell, trade, you could meet artists. And it was wall-to-wall comic books. And it was about the comics, and it was about the creators. And if you were a comic fan, now mind you, back in the day, uh, some of us were doing this stuff before it was cool. Like if we wore a Captain America shirt to school, we might have gotten a fight because you got picked on. So we did this before pop culture accepted and embraced our hobbies and our, our now our section of pop culture. So for me, um, being that I used to work in the comic book industry, I mean, I've worked near a comic con with Marvel. I've done a lot of different things. I always listen to the fans and I listen to the vendors, but the fans specifically, I can't tell you how many times over the past 20 years that I've heard fans honestly and legitimately complain. I'm a comic fan, but where are the comics? Like there's almost nothing for me on the floor to buy outside of like the show exclusives and stuff. You know, people want to dig, they want to fill their runs. They want to look for that key that they finally saved up enough money to go and get, for instance. So I had always wanted to do something. And then finally, just before COVID, I said, you know what? I know exactly what I want to do. I want an old school style show. I want it to be a real comic book show. And I want to cater this to the people that have the same interests that I had when I was growing up and still do. And it wasn't about the money because I don't need the money. I luckily have a career. I work, I work in government. I have a career. I said, I'm going to do this. I want to bring this back to Long Island. So this is more of like a, a project of passion and love for the hobby. And it's also a way for me to give something back, but to give something back in a different way than some of the other shows are doing it. And don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking what, what pop culture cons do. They do a phenomenal job with what they do, but I wanted to dial it back. And retro and nostalgia is also really taking a turn in an uptick. What better way to do it than say, hey, you know what, Long Island and the tri-state area, I'm going to give you what we used to experience way back in the day. So what the OGs were doing 30 years ago, I'm going to give it to you again. And some people told me I was crazy. And that it wouldn't work. And some people told me I was nuts that I wasn't worried about the money. Because I'm really not. The only thing I care about is that the show doesn't lose money. And so long as that doesn't happen, I'm happy. And I pulled the trigger. And we did the show. And the show has been successful. But, you know, getting into doing this, it took two years of heavy thinking before I pulled the trigger. So, I, you know, I would tell people, yeah, we're all insane for doing this. Because it's not like... It's not an easy thing. It's a lot of work. And I put full-time hours into part-time schedule, if that makes sense. So, you know, there's a lot of nights where a friend will call and want to go to dinner or whatever. And I'm like, nope, can't do it. Sorry, working. And they're like, what do you mean? You get out of work at 3.15. And I'm like, I get out of work at 3.15 for my career. I'm home by 3.30. By 3.45, I'm doing stuff for the shows. And as everybody can see behind me, it started as one show, which was Long Island Comic Fest. But now we have two other shows we have it's toy time which you guys can see to my right and when to my left you can see we have the comic market which is going to eventually be a monthly show that's in development it's a lot of work <laughs> it's, it really is it's a lot of work and it's a sacrifice and a compromise on your social lives so you know i'm happy that people are doing this but you know marcus you're 100 right man you have to have some screw loose somewhere to actually want to do this <laughs> so the fact that you're not driven by profit. Do you find that that makes you more flexible 
with how you run the convention because certain things are, are dictated by the financial reward. So as you very well are sure, remember that the reason why the small pop culture, the small conventions became the big ones because they figured how to get more people in to, to see the convention. Yep. And you bring celebrities in. You bring celebrities in, you raise the ticket prices, and then it grows and grows and grows. And then all of a sudden, it's all about celebrities and no about the comics. So is that specifically because it's, you're not profit-driven, you're able to, to make those decisions? That is actually one of the foundation reasons that my shows exist is that nobody doesn't care about the money everybody does in some respect so in my case it's i just want to make sure that my shows don't lose money right however unbelievably liberating and unbelievably freeing because i never have over my shoulder oh my god the money the money the money i know that what i need to have covered is covered so so long as that's done what whatever happens after that and as far as i'm concerned is a very blessed bonus if that makes any sense so the guys that are driven by profit yes it's forced a lot of cons that have grown bigger they've done other things they cost more money i mean i'm not knocking new york comic con i I love the show i know guys over at read pop and i love them to death when i go to the show we go out to dinner um if you look at how new york comic con and san diego comic con specifically have changed the environment across the nation and to some extent across the world on cons in general there's some people that are priced out of even going to them. You know, that that's a big problem. And then you also have fans that feel very left out when they go to the show because there's not enough of what they want. They don't have a choice at this point. You know, they're so big that um, it's like what we said when the banks failed. We said they're too big to fail. They're kind of in the same position. So when you are able to do something and the money is not the thing that's tying you to it, it's extremely freeing. I mean, you know, I'm able... I'm able to do something that I that I love in my hobby and I'm able to enjoy it instead of constantly stressing and sweating it. You know, and that that's ridiculously liberating. Unbelievably liberating. You know, it's like I say with anybody with a career, I say the one other thing you should always strive for besides the number one thing, which is doing something you love, right? Make sure you always have work-life balance. Well, I love my main career as an IT professional. But I also love my side gig as a promoter and a large reason, a major reason of that is because I'm not tied to, to the money. I can, I just have so much freedom to do things that I want because if at any reason, at any time, let's just say that we decided to close the shows, I could do that and it affects my life financially and my private life, 0%. So that's monumental. And in a lot of, a lot of smaller shows, and I see this a lot, they're profit driven still and and they fall into a lot of pit hole, a lot of pitfalls and a lot of problems and i see guys so stressed out and i honestly sympathize and i feel bad for them because i'm like man we're, we're we're unbelievably lucky in ways i cannot describe that we can do this and that we don't have to worry about that what one thing can you say that because of the situation that you're in have you been like i'm gonna experiment with this and let's see how it goes that you don't think that any other convention would be able to do yeah it's a similar well, question one of the things and it's funny you say that because um they're actually sitting to my left and my right on the screen we're completely unforeseen right so 
I'm a comic nerd, always have been, and I did Long Island Comic Fest with my partner, Eric, who unfortunately couldn't make it, and we focused on our thing, and the next thing you know, we got approached, hey, you want to maybe do a toy show? Hey, do you maybe want to do a monthly show? And we had other people that that have similar interests that now, instead of being competing entities, right, have asked us if we wanted to participate in them and partner in them. So that in, in, in itself is one of those examples. You know, here's something completely unforeseen that we were just able to do through opportunity that some of the bigger conventions and some of the bigger entities, they don't have the freedom and the luxury to do that. You know, they're, they're, they're New York Comic Con and Read Pop, for instance, is a legitimate corporation. It's not an LLC. It's not an S Corp. It's a straight up corporation. It's its own monster now. You know, they couldn't, if they were to get approached, it's unlikely anything would happen if even them to be approached because of the size of them, right? Guys like me and the things we're doing, you know, opportunities, how do I put this? Opportunities present themselves and they always do in life. But in this particular instance, opportunities when you're smaller and you're succeeding will present themselves. And some of the larger guys, they, they, they just they, they either don't care or they don't have the time or the patience or the manpower to be able to even entertain them. And they could be losing out. Whereas we're in a position where we can go, hey, wait a minute. That sounds kind of cool. It's a gamble, but Wayne Gretzky said it best. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So we say, what the heck? If it sounds cool and we're into it, let's try it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You try it, it doesn't work. Okay, no big deal. You go back to the drawing board. You still have your other thing. So we have freedom in that respect too. And that's something I don't think that larger shows that are past a certain point always have the opportunity or the ability to be able to even entertain. Hmm. Jen, you're with us. You're like, throw the question for us. Yeah, I am here. Um, so with a smaller show, I don't like to assume, but I would have to guess there's a smaller budget. So let's just say there is, let's say you had an unlimited budget. What would you add to your show? <laughs> oh god if i would had you be a... buying the mickey mantle card and having it on sale <laughs> I don't no know. not 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 at all believe it or not if if i had unlimited budget absolute unlimited budget the very first thing mm-hmm. that i would do is i would find a property where i can build my own building mm-hmm. right so because it's one thing to rent a place it's another thing to own it and with an unlimited budget i would i would look to purchase my own building and then that building is where i would host a variety of different shows and if other people wanted to do their shows i'd even rent it out to them however one of the things i would do is i would make sure that my venue could hold 250 or 300 tables that i could have as many vendors as humanly possible there and i would make sure that every single show is getting artists that people want to see but i would also be making sure that their agents aren't and i blame it on the agents not the talent if you wanted, let's say, for instance, Todd McFarlane, I'd find the way to get Todd McFarlane there to do the show. And I would make sure that if he's charging for autographs because of CGC and all that, you're paying for your CGC stuff because that's something with CGC, but you're not paying more than $25 for your signature. I'd make sure that <laughs> signatures became affordable again, even if it meant I had to eat the cost. So be it. So if they're, if they're priced to be at the show is, let's say, 25000 I would tell them, I'm giving you 50000 you're dropping your signature prices down to X because right, now right. 
Think of how many fans go to shows and they spend money on con exclusives. They spend money on these photo ops and these and these signatures and, and sketches. And, you know, listen, some of this stuff is expensive. And I'm not saying yeah. that the artists don't deserve it. But I remember the artists before they had certain representation and they weren't anywhere near what they are now. And, and you can count yeah. inflation, but inflation and robbery are two different things, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I guess if you can charge it and people will pay it. But for me, I would never, regardless of where I went, I don't think I could even charge 100 for an autograph. It just feels weird. I mean, it feels weird. It's a hobby and it's a community, which is a big thing that a lot of people forget once you're no longer a fan and you're doing other things. This is a community. So if I had an unlimited budget, I would want to be doing everything possible that I could to give back to the community that's given me so much. I mean, I owe my mm-hmm. entire career to comic books. I owe everything to it. And I admit it openly because it's the truth. And I'm able to pay it forward now. And if I had an unlimited budget, friggin' forget about it. I absolutely <laughs> would be doing things to pay it forward for the fans and for the creators. Because I know some creators like, again, I don't want to name names, but I do know some creators that, you know, they're in a little bit of trouble now. They're up in age. They have health issues. Um, that's why That's why we're doing a fundraiser for Hero Initiative at Long Island Comic Fest try to raise money so that they can help these guys in need but if i had an unlimited budget i'd be finding the ways to make sure that those guys like the don perlins who i love to death could get to the show or have an outlet to make some some good money without it hurting the community mm-hmm. and i would be doing things like that too because it's it, but at the end of the day like i said it's a community and well, I hope you get an unlimited budget then, because it sounds like you'd pay it forward. And I know I would too. And now this is recorded, so we have to be held to that if we get unlimited budgets. <laughs> I have absolutely no problem with that. None Me whatsoever. Because I'll tell you right now, could you imagine how cool that would be to be able oh, yeah. to? It's one thing to be able to do whatever you want, like within your budget, right? It's mm-hmm. another thing to be able to do whatever you want and not have to worry about the money. So, all right, I can use, I could blow 500 million right now and it doesn't matter. Awesome. I already know what I'm doing. Name the big name. They're going to be at this show. You're not paying for signatures. Maybe it's five mm-hmm. bucks. Maybe it's five bucks. I'm making right, sure right. that I, I would, could do stuff like that. That would give back to the community. The draw would be insane. I mean, forget about it. The draw would be absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. And that's, and that's good. You do it a four day show, just like they do at New York Comic Con in San Diego. Right. And then just, do it for the fans. I make sure there's variants made for them. There's all sorts of stuff made for them and prices would all be affordable. I was just thinking you can have a watch deal Keon sleep panel and charge five. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. We, that's we could funny. put him in a plexiglass room, right? And then it's it's a one-way view, so he can't see out, but they could all see in and people could just walk by and just sit in chairs and watch him, like in like, you know, like recliners. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> What are some more things you'd like to see done at shows that you aren't happening? Well, first and foremost, you know, some of this stuff, it's, it's almost tough to bring up because you don't want, I certainly don't want to sound pompous or conceited because I'm not, but it's just the observations over the years, right? So again, I have to use Long Island Comic Fest as an example. So for our vendors, in the morning, we always have bagels and coffee and we have bottled water through the day. And then we get pizza for lunch. And that's for the vendors. I do that on purpose. And the main reason that's that's come about is because I've gone to so many other shows and 
I see that the guests get all that kind of stuff, but the vendors don't get anything. And <clears throat> pardon me. It's not that often that I see a promoter really going and interacting with his vendors during the show. How are you doing? Is everything all right? Mm-hmm. Do you need anything? Oh, you're all alone. You want me to wash the booth so you can run to the bathroom? This is something that I would that I would universally and globally change in comic cons across the board because without your vendors, you don't have anything. Right. Vendors are what are bringing your fans. And, you know, I mean, in the case of San Diego and New York, it's a little different because they have Hollywood and whatnot. However, they're still clients. They're still vendors. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. Hollywood, Hollywood and the music industry, they get treated like gold when they go somewhere. But what about all the other guys? What about the guys that yeah. are selling on the third market? What about the little yeah. company that's doing your show that's, that's a startup and they're trying to start up? You, you've got to show them a certain level of attention. And I've said this, I actually just made a post about this the other day because I keep getting asked about how to run a con. Excuse me. And I tell everybody, your two most important focuses on your show should be only two things, your vendors and your fans. That's it. They're equally as important. There is no differentiation between the two because if you lose either one, you have nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest thing I would change is that the, the fans are getting paid more attention to in the sense of, make things affordable again for them if you can at all costs Mm -hmm. and take care of your vendors you know to walk over to a vendor and just say hey are you guys all right is everything cool like you need a water or anything and they can't walk away and they say yeah could you grab me a water and you go get it and you bring it back to them that little silly minuscule thing means so much to them because that Mm -hmm. might be the difference between happy and hangry (laughs) definitely yeah these are really good points and i didn't think of that so yeah. Smart for anyone listening who has any event, you know, check on, I've hosted film festival, check on your hosts, make sure your host's okay. Check on everybody. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. important. I mean, they're, they're people too. I mean, you know, and a lot of promoters, a lot of events rather, I'm sorry. It's the vendors that are usually the ones footing the bill to pay for your rental for where you are. Right. Definitely. How do you, how do you run a show and forget them? And I've seen it happen so many times and I shake my head before I had a show even, and I go, man, you know, I've walked over to vendors and been like, dude, you need something? Like, I'm going to the food court. You want something? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they look at you like a deer in the headlights because they can't believe they're hearing it. And it's like, it costs nothing to be nice. Right. And it'll come back to you. It always will. And if Yeah, you I think the, so. If you do the wrong thing, <clears throat> that's coming back to you tenfold. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I definitely see it happen. I see people lose their platforms or their luck when they take things for granted. And maybe it's coincidences, but that's one of the weird things I believe in. That's It's important. Like I said, at the end of the day, like I had mentioned with actors and actresses, the world just people. Well, those vendors are trying to put food on their table. Make them happy when they're at the show if you can. It's, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not the biggest pain in the neck in the world. I'm front to face at my shows. I'm running around like a chicken without a head. And I got a big dumb grin on my face because I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. So speaking of prices, how much are tickets? Is there free parking? What kind of food uh, can the fans get? Expect to see. Okay. So at Long Island Comic Fest and at It's Toy Time, they're both at the VFW Hall in Hicksville. And we have the entire VFW Hall. There's more than one room. Um, we normally have a food truck. And I have it parked right outside the doors so that anybody that's there, and you'll notice this with people, you know, family of four comes, it's two kids. 
sometimes it's not always the mom and the dad that are hungry. It's the kid that's whining that he wants a cookie or whatever. There's a food truck outside. Uh, in October, it will be Iron Mobile Chef. And they make hot dogs and burgers and Philly cheesesteaks and all that kind of good stuff. You know, that um, that good finger food. And they're good because I've actually eaten there and they are good. So people can walk right out the doors and they can get food. And then if that's not something that they want directly across the street is Delco Plaza, which has Taco Bell and a pizzeria. And there's a couple of other things in there, too. Um, So food is right there. And then as far as uh, admission goes, uh, adults are five dollars at the door. Kids 12 and under are free and they always will be free. Um, I'm not charging kids to get in, but guys, once you turn 13, you're a teenager. <laughs> sorry, p- pony up to five bucks. And even that, you know, this, sucks. <laughs> well, there's a lot of times too, you know, you have a family come in, they have like three kids, right? And one of them just turned turn 13 or he's even 14. And I'm just like, just, just go. Don't worry about it. I remember so, uh, when I was taking the bus, I was like eight for like six years. Cause I was, I was short. So, <laughs> so is there like, a, is there like a height requirement? They're like, right, you, you're old enough. You're not old enough. It's oh like, hey, come on in. Be, let's, let's use the honor system. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, keep in mind, the price of the show is, is very meticulously factored into family experience, right? So if you have a family of four, it's 10 bucks for a family of four to go somewhere. What does that mean? It didn't cost you an arm and a leg. And you still have a little bit of money in your pocket to buy Jimmy or Sally that toy or that comic book that they want, or hopefully it's not, you know, too out of the price range because some of the stuff is. And even for me, mm-hmm. I look at it and I'm like, yeah, no, not buying that. But <laughs> the idea is to keep it affordable for families. And then the 12, the kids 12 and under thing is just common sense. It's like, that's your next generation of fans. So make it easy for them to get in the door. And then at stuff like the comic market, the comic market is going to be free admission because it's a monthly show. So no admission charge for that. And then parking at the VFW Parking is 100% free, and we have parking in the main lot, which I make all the vendors move their cars out after load-in, so that it's there for the for the fans. And then right next door is the old uh, hip center, which is abandoned, and that parking lot is completely free also. So there's plenty of parking. Comic market, we don't – we've got one or – well, we've got two or three places that we're looking at. It's still in development, and we haven't locked in any event yet, but parking is always something that I'm very big on. If it's got crummy parking, I'm not doing it. Yeah, so, same. And that, thank that, God, that kind of sums that one up. Yeah, parking, yeah, a, parking, and food are usually my two biggest uh, concerns whenever going to a convention. Yes, and safety for me, obviously. See, now the funny thing with with food, um, I don't charge my food truck to be there, which I've also gotten screamed at from guys telling me, "What are you nuts? Like you can charge a rental for them to be there for the day?" And wow. I get that. I get that we could. Uh, it's usually we do it in a form of sponsorship or something. But I'm like, no, if I can get a food truck here, I can get a good food truck and they don't have to pay to be there for the day. Right. And they do really well. What do you think the chances are when I ask them if they want to do the next three events, they're going to say, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I don't want to cut into their profit margin either. You know, I mean, yeah, places that these guys go, it's expensive. Mm. I don't have them there to make money off them. I have them there so my fans can eat, you know, again, not, not about the money changes how you can do things mm-hmm. speaking my language for sure yeah it's consideration too and it makes it you know people feel it they don't feel ripped off you know sometimes I go to some event and I feel like super ripped off 
And uh, yeah, this just sounds great. It's, and it respects the wallet. There's parking. There's a hip center next door if you want to get a hip replacement. <laughs> I love that. I mean, what more could you want? So that's actually a good question. What more can you, what more can people expect? What more can people want? Is there a balance of what vendors you have at your convention, at your fest? Because as, as I'm sure you're well aware of, there are certain uh, conventions that you go to and they have so much space that the vendors are either something they like, do they actually belong here or it's too much of one thing or any type of an idea like, I just want only this, I just want only that, or I'll bring in anybody. Well, Long Island Comic Fest is, is and always will stay true to the roots of the fact that I want an old school comic book show like what we remember when we were kids. So fans walk in that door. I guarantee you, you're going to see wall-to-wall comics in multiple rooms. Now, we have a rule. Uh, vendors have, have to be 75% comic books minimum. And we'll allow 25% other because to have a couple of toys or a few Funko Pops at your table, that never hurts because there's kids and they love that stuff. And, and honestly, you know, comic fans and toy fans, they, they, they meld, they coincide, they, they overlap each other. But that, that um, ruling and that ideology will never change. The other things that we do with the show, and it's important to me that we always have this, is that we have comic book services for the fans. So Avery Comic Pressing has been doing every single show. He comes down from Massachusetts, and he will. you can submit your books with him to have them pressed clean, and then he will submit them for you to CGC or CBCS. That's a big thing to have on-site drop-off to one person and it's a one-stop shop so you know here's my 15 books i want them pressed cleaned and i want them graded and you could do it all with him we also have guest artists and inkers and other people that come to the show but they're all comic book related and in this particular instance right now they're all published artists so don't get me wrong i would love to have a lot of the guys that i know that are unpublished pardon me, that are unpublished or that are self-published and trying to get their book rolling and get it off the ground, but we don't have the space to accommodate it. So I've made it very important that the Artist Alley is published artists that people on Long Island may never even get to be able to go to New York Comic Con to see that we can get them in the door and they can have a more personal experience with them. And Josh Avery is sitting right with them. And then another thing is uh, Royal Collectibles, uh, Mike from Royal is a sweetheart and I love him to death for doing this for me. When I need CGC facilitation, he's bringing his guys in to do it, and they will be there in October. And uh, Josh Avery can facilitate witnessing for CBCS. So if there is someone there and you do want to get a sketch or a remark or an autograph or whatever, and you want that graded, we've got the fans covered to be able to do that right at the show. Now, that's something that normally you don't see unless it's in the bigger shows. So to be able to offer that at a small scale, um, cause our show has not expanded yet. Eventually it's going to grow out of the VFW, but it hasn't yet. Um, I love the fact that I can, well, I can give those services to the fans. So, and it's something that they look for. It really is. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many times that Josh Avery's absolutely swamped with guys bringing him short boxes of comics to have pressed and cleaned and graded. And I, and I look at that and I'm like, Oh my God, the money. Cause not in the sense of how much it's going to cost for them to do this. But they're there lined up with the stuff. And I'm like, see, it works. Hmm. And then um, the other thing was 
I'm reaching out to companies all over the place that make product for comic books. So there's a company, and I'm sorry, the name is escaping me offhand. You got about two minutes left, less than two minutes. Okay. Well, the last thing then is that we try to bring in other services for the fans. So it's not just comic books. They can get their boxes, their boards, artists, signatures, CGC grading, submissions, all that kind of stuff. Put it all in one neat little package. All right. So we are almost out of time. So quickly mention uh, websites. So people can go and find out more about the uh, event. Easy. For Long Island Comic Fest, www.licomicfest.com. And you will find sections in there for It's Toy Time and the Comic Market. If you want to look us up on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash groups slash licomicfest or groups slash the comic market or groups slash it's toy time and why. And I think that for the most part covers it. Oh, and then Instagram, licomicfest. And that covers it for our social media and our website. All right, Jen, final thought, 30 seconds or less. Did I lose you, Jen? <laughs> I think we lost Jen. That, that was her 30 seconds, her final thought. Uh, my final thought is this. Thank you for being a guest on our show. Make sure you join us next week um, on our regularly scheduled program. Our next live show, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library, will be our 61st live show, which is going to be on October the 12th. And our guests will be the Hurricane and the uh, Winter uh, Hurricane and the um, Furnace Cons, David Donovan, our event organizer. So make sure you go sign up for that at www.eastmetal.com. And that is it for our show. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you uh, next time. Uh, Thank you for having me, man. It was a great time. You've been listening to It Came From the Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.